Welcome. We're glad to have you here. Thanks for worshiping with us at Easter. We are going to do things a little bit differently, so I want to give you a couple of announcements of some things that are getting ready to happen. We're going to have our ushers take up the offering right up front, and then we'll get to the American Idols thing. Let me just tell you about some of the things that are getting ready to happen. Ushers, you can go ahead. Uh, I'm going to show you a video of who's coming to speak next weekend. His name is Michael Franchise. used to be in the mob. It's a great story for the week after Easter. It's a story of redemption. Let's watch the video. Michael Franzese was not just a soldier, but a capo in the notorious Colombo crime family. He spent the better part of a decade in federal prison on charges including tax fraud, racketeering, and parole violations. I grew up in New York where there are five organized crime families. My dad was a underboss in the Colombo crime family back in the 1960s. I went to see my dad in Leavenworth, and uh, I said, Dad, listen, I don't want to go to school anymore. During the course of that visit, he said to me, listen, if your mind is made up and you don't want to go to school, then uh, if you're going to be on the street, I want you to be on the street in the right way. And that's how it started for me. You're not going to want to miss hearing Michael. It's a great story of what God has done. I mean, you talk about as far as you can come from the other side. He is going to be speaking next weekend at all of our services, Orland Lockport. And uh, we want to welcome you back. If you're a guy, we have a men's event next Saturday here at the Orland campus. Just for guys, if you want to get a little bit more of the story, get the chance to talk to Michael a little bit more, 9 o'clock next Saturday morning. Uh, we invite you here, Sicilian or not, you are welcome to come and hang out with us at our men's gathering. And then... Uh, a couple weeks after that, I'm going to start a marriage series. Every once in a while, it just kind of hits me. You know, i got to talk about this again. I hear about couples that are splitting up. I see what's going on out there in the world, and we're going to talk about it. All's not fair in love and war. We're going to talk about intimacy and fighting and how to, how to get your eye out of the marriage and a whole bunch of great stuff. So you've got, you got a card there. I hope that you'll come back. Our hope is for the, the, that you will not just come on Easter and, and show up every once in a while, but that you'll get a, a relationship with God going, and you will have a relationship with us, and we want to know how we can help you. Now, we're doing Easter. You probably figured out by now we're not doing Easter the normal way. Um, hang on to these because we're going to talk about these a little bit later. We've decided that this ought to be our celebration. It ought to be about the best thing that you could possibly have. So on behalf of our church, on behalf of the nursery, happy Keister to you. Okay, how about that? Happy Keister. <laughs> I know it's inappropriate, but it cracks me up. Whatever. This is a big day, man. We ought to be celebrating. This is, the, this is it. You know what I'm saying? This is the Super Bowl. This is the World Series. I'm sorry. I, it, that's the series of games that they play at the end of the season to determine the World Championship. Just in case you're not familiar with the terminology, I want to make sure you get the terminology. World Series. It's, oh, never mind. Cub fans, I love you. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. It is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the answer to everything. A guy was in the Holy Land. He took his whole family to the Holy Land on a trip, and he was in the Middle East, and he was traveling. It was supposed to be this great trip, and his mother-in-law passed away while they were there. 
It was really awful. I mean, you imagine what it's like being in another country and having a loved one pass away. So he goes to the American consulate, and he's like, hey, what am I going to do? How am I, how, how, how I going to get my mother-in-law's body back to the United States? And the consulate said, look, it's going to cost you $20,000 to ship this body back to the United States. I don't think you want to do that. You could bury her here for just a few hundred dollars. And the man said, no, money is no object. I, I want to figure out how to do this. And the consulate said, man, you must have loved your mother-in-law a whole lot. And the guy said, no, it's not that. It's just that 2,000 years ago, a guy was buried here and he rose again. And I can't take that chance. <laughs> this is the big deal. Okay? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's why we're celebrating. And we're glad that you're here. Paul Larson points out that the life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities. The virgin's womb and the empty tomb. Think about this. He came in, the virgin's womb, he went out, the empty tomb. Two impossibilities. Or a door marked no entrance and a door marked no exit. Those are the doors that he broke down. There is, however, one door that he is not going to break down and that is the door to your heart. Revelation tells us he stands at the door and he's knocking, but he's not going to kick that one in. And that's what we hope you will find today. We're glad you're here. If you're not a regular, you're wondering, you know, somebody drug you here for the first time, you see confetti all over the floor, you're wondering what's going on. We really believe that church ought to be a celebration. It's a celebration here every week. We believe that God is the God of the universe, and if we get to worship him and he gets to fill up our hole, then it ought to be a party. Not like the little boy who was at his church and he was looking at the plaque on the wall that had all the people who died in the military. And he's looking at it and he's trying to figure out what's going on. The preacher comes up and says, those are all the people that died in the service. And the little boy goes, the nine or the 11, you know? That's what it's like in a lot of places, and we don't think it ought to be that way. It ought to be a party. It ought to be a celebration. This is better than New Year's Eve. This is better than the 4th of July. This is why we're popping poppers. This is why we celebrate, and we are glad that you're here. You're probably wondering about the setup, the American Idols thing that we've got going on. We've been doing a series about our American Idols. We've been lumping them into uh, money, sex, and power. Those are kind of the three things that we, put to, that, that, that we usually put up on a pedestal, that we put up on a throne. Um, I believe there are a lot of places that we worship every day that we don't really think about. Some of us worship, the temple is our office, you know, it's a cubicle that we go to and we sacrifice our best at this place. For some people, it is a bank, you know, they worship there, there's a vault there and, and, and they, their, their life is affected, their security and significance is affected by what's going on in that bank. Some people worship at a, at a gym, some people worship at a mall, some people worship at a stadium, some people worship at a school. Some people worship at a television studio. I mean, how ironic is it that the number one show of all time now is American Idol? It's a show about an idol. None of those places are bad. None of those things are bad. Gyms are good. Jobs are good. Banks are good. Everything, except for a mall, amen, guys, is a good place. There are good things. Do you get that? But only in its proper place. We're a worshiping people. God made us that way. If you meet a person who is not affected by the culture that they live in, they're not affected by these idols, the money, sex, power, we usually think they're some kind of a freak, don't we? I'm not really much into classic literature. I'd rather watch The Office, to be honest with you. But I do remember a great story by Dostoevsky called The Idiot. And, and, and he has this character in this story that is Prince Mishkin. He is the Christ figure in, in Dostoevsky's story. And he's in a culture that is obsessed with money and sex and power, and yet he doesn't have any greed in his life. He doesn't have any vanity. He doesn't have any fear. And all the people like this guy, and they trust this guy because of his innocence and his simplicity, but his lack of ulterior motives caused them to decide that he must be mentally challenged. He is 
an idiot if he is not going to give in to all these things that are going on in the world. And yet that's what God is saying is exactly the right thing to do. John wrote, We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, so we know that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. We are in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then he says, kind of parenthetically, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. There is true, there is, God is true, this is true, Easter is true, and everything else is false. And, and all those things are okay, but when any of those false things get up, those idols, whenever they become an idol for us, then our lives become full of false. Why would God say the first commandment is no other gods before me? The second commandment is no idols. Why would Jesus say the number one command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is it because God is insecure up in heaven? I mean, do you really, really think that? Do you think the God who made the heavens and the earth is insecure when you worship something else? I don't believe that for a minute. I believe that God is up in heaven looking down and he sees us like a father, like that's the image we should always have. He sees us as a father and he's going, hey, when you put those other things up on the throne, when you put them on a pedestal, it's going to mess up your life. And I don't want you to do that. There is true, there is false. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. There is no other. This is why it's no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about him. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because there's no such thing. If you're watching this on the internet, I really highly suggest you go back and watch the drama. Don't just go to the sermon. Go back and watch the drama because the drama perfectly illustrated what I'm talking about. There is a hole in my life, and I keep trying to fill it up with all of this stuff. There is true, there is false. In the book of Acts, the New Testament kind of gives us a picture of what it was like when the church got started, when, when Paul was traveling around to all these places. And at one point, in Acts chapter 17, Paul gets to Athens, okay? If you studied mythology ever in your life, you remember what all, all, you remember all of the gods that they had. I mean, he's in Athens, so Athena overshadowed everything, but there was also Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, and Ares, the god of war, and Artemis, the goddess of fertility and wealth, Maserati, the god of speed. I just made that up. I'm trying to see if you're paying attention. In Acts 17... He goes into Athens, and he's in the temple, and, and the, he's preaching about Jesus being resurrected. And everybody's like, wow, we haven't heard of this God. Why don't you tell us about him? So here we go, Acts 17, 22. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. We are always religious. We are going to be a religious people. We are going to worship something. That's how God made us. That's why he told us to stay away from idols, because we're always going to worship something. As I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I mean, imagine these pedestals full of idols, statues. I even found an altar with this inscription, interesting, to an unknown God. I mean, they were covering their bases, right? Now, what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. Isn't it amazing they had an altar to a God they didn't know about? Why? Well, I think it was kind of a fail-safe for them. You know, just in case there's another God out there we don't have a statue to, we've got a pedestal here for you. It's empty, okay? Why is that? Well, probably because they realized that none of the other things they had on their pedestals were actually working for them. And maybe hoping deep down inside that there really was an unknown God that they could find out about. They've invited Paul in to tell them about it, and here's what he says. The God 
that made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. He's too big to be on your pedestal. He, he doesn't fit on a normal-sized throne. God did this. He made us so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Why did God make us? Paul summed it up. I think he hit the nail on the head. God didn't make us so he could have a bunch of little robots, a bunch of little pets that he could move around down here, a little ant farm on the earth. He made us because he really wants to have a relationship with us. You need to understand that this Easter. The reason that you're here, the reason that God put you here is because he wants to have a relationship with you. He did that. And Paul knows what he's talking about, okay? This is why I love this thing about Paul. Let me tell you about Paul just a minute, okay? Paul is a guy who filled up his life at one time with a lot of other idols, a lot of other accomplishments. In Philippians 3, he tells us a little bit about his background. He's saying, hey, you people, you think you had a great background? Let me tell you about my background. I was circumcised the eighth day. That was exactly the right day. I was of the people of Israel. I'm a Jew, so I'm important, you know. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That's one of the good tribes, right? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That means he studied in all the right places, okay? In regards to the law, I'm a Pharisee. That meant he went to the right graduate school, okay? As far as zeal, I persecuted the church. I mean, nobody was a better Jew than me. As for legalistic righteousness, keeping the Ten Commandments and all of those Levitical laws and all of that other stuff, he said, I was faultless. He was saying, I had the right pedigree, I had the right background, I had the right history, I was the guy your mother wanted you to marry. That's what Paul's saying in Philippians 3. If he was here today, he would say, I went to the right college and got the right diploma, I could bench press 250 pounds, these are real weights, I have a... uh, I have a relationship, I have, I married the perfect person, and everything is exactly as it's supposed to be in our marriage. I'll get to him in just a minute. I have trophies for all of my accomplishments, all the things I did well. I have a single-digit handicap. I have lots of money. I have an autographed football from Kurt Warner, an autographed baseball from Ernie Banks, and a picture of me with Albert Pujols. This is my stuff. I just want you to be impressed. My stuff. Okay? This isn't Paul's. This is mine. And there goes Kurt, okay? What he's saying is, if he was here today, he would be walking around his office and he would be saying, look at all the stuff that I've accomplished. You think you've accomplished a lot? Look at all the stuff that I've accomplished. I'm really important. And here's what he says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake... I lost all things. I got rid of them. As a matter of fact, I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. I consider them rubbish, okay? They're trash. I I consider all of this stuff worthy of nothing but going in the trash can. Now, here's a little translation problem I need to address, okay? We're going to go with the rubbish thing because that works okay. But the truth of the matter is the Greek word that Paul uses here is skubalon. Say that with me. Skubalon. You're going to want to remember this word. This is... It was a slang word. Uh, The King James translates it's the best, dung, okay? The Greek lexicon would say skubalon is human excrement. Paul is saying, all of this stuff that I thought was going to fill up my hole, it's all a big pile of skubalon. 
and it was that word. If they had bumper stickers for their chariots, it would be Scubalon happens. You with me? <laughs> if your kid came home and said Scubalon, you'd be, Ralphie, wash your mouth, that was soap. It was that word. Paul is trying to be that graphic with this. Isn't this great? Aren't you glad you came to Easter? You learned a, you learned a cuss word in Greek. This is awesome. Remember this word, kids, Scubalon, right? Why would Paul, I mean, as Paul's, as, as Paul's readers are reading this, when they got to that word, they were like, whoa, I can't believe he just said that. Why? He wants to show us, he wants to show us so importantly that this is all a big bunch of, all the stuff the world gives kudos and gold stars for and high honors, it's all a big pile of stinking scubalon compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And, and I mean, this is Paul, you know? This isn't Peter. Peter was a fisherman, right? I mean, it, it, Peter didn't have all this background. Peter smelled like Scubalon when he came to Jesus. That's different. This is the guy who's got all of the right things. He's got all the things that he was supposed to have. He's done all of the things he was supposed to do in his life. And he says, you know what? It's all just a bunch of Scubalon. All of these trophies, all of the things that I've done in my life, it's nothing but a big pile of Scubalon. It doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Those are my wife's clubs. Don't worry. You have to draw the line somewhere, you know what I'm saying? It's all just, throw me the Kurt Warner, he's got to go. Big pile of nothing compared to the greatness of knowing my Lord. Why? Why? Well, Apostle Paul had tried to fill his life up with all of that stuff, and he didn't get anything out of it. Let me ask you something. I just stick with money, sex, and power. Has money ever gotten you all the things that you wanted it to get you? Didn't we not, have you been paying attention to the economy? Did we not just learn a lesson about how fickle money is as a God when we put it on our idol stand? Has success and power ever gotten you what you really, really wanted? Have you not ever been burned by a relationship? Congratulations, you're 12, if that's true, okay? The rest of us, we understand that money, sex, and power, we understand that all of those things that we try to put on the altar, they're not going to work for us. It's never going to happen. So here's what we're going to do. A little interactive thing. In, in, in front of you is an envelope with black holes in it. I'd like for you to take a black hole out of the envelope. And here's what I want you to do during the rest of this service. We're going to do a song at the end. And during the song, they're going to collect the, these black holes in baskets. And here's, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to think and pray and then write on here what it may be that you think God's telling you you've been putting as an idol above him in your life. What is it that you've been trying to fill up your black hole with, okay? And write it on there. Now, the great thing is it's black, so when you write on there, nobody's going to be able to see it, only you. You and God have a conversation, and you think about it. I want you to write something on here. We're going to collect them all together, and at the end of the service, we're going to take them to the throne of God. That's how it's all going to work. I know some of you are looking at me with that, so what? I'm still a rock star. I got my rock moves. I don't need you. Look, it's okay. I understand that. Your life may be going fine right now, okay? It may be. Maybe those things that you have on your pedestal, maybe they're really working for you right now and everything's clicking. But I want to tell you something. All of the older, wiser people in this congregation will agree with me right now. At some point in your life, whatever it is that you've been putting on the throne, whatever it is that you've been trying to fill your hole up with, it's going to disappoint you. He's going to disappoint you. She's going to disappoint you. It's going to disappoint you. I guarantee you that's going to happen. So start thinking right now about how you can fill up your life 
with the right thing, with God this Easter. So what do I have my plastic Jesus up here for? I don't care if it rains or freezes as long as I got my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. This is not just a cheesy-looking pink velvet Jesus, my friends. The bottom is a magic eight ball. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus can answer any of your questions today, my friends. So somebody throw a question out for me. What? When's the job market going to turn around? Jesus says... I would. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's what he said. I don't know what that means either. Give me another question. Every time, every service. What's wrong with you Cub fans? Every service. Will the Cubs win the World Series? Please, Plastic Jesus, please. Will they win the World Series? Here's what he says. He says, wait for a sign. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I will say last night he said believe, so I would keep going with that one. What, here's, here's where, when I saw this on the internet, I had to have this, because here's my, here's my problem, okay? A lot of people have holes in their life, and they've been trying to fill up their hole with God, and it's still not working. They've been trying to fill up their hole with Jesus, and it's still not working. Why is that? Because your concept of God is wrong. Your concept of Jesus is like this pink velvet Jesus. You don't understand that he's the... What did Paul say? The God who made the world and everything in the world is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He gives all men life and breath and everything else. Maybe what you need to write on your little black hole is tiny Jesus. Maybe that's been your problem. You've had a tiny Jesus. You've had a manageable Jesus. He's a Jesus that you could put on a chain and wear around your neck, or you could put his picture on the wall. You could put him up on a shelf. He's your little tiny pink Jesus. You need to understand something. Jesus is bigger than you could possibly understand. You need to take your tiny little pink Jesus, and you need to throw him away. And you need to start studying the Bible for yourself. And you need to start praying for yourself. And forget about all the things your parents or some other church told you or our church told you or anybody else told you. And you and Jesus figure out that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And all of a sudden, your hole can get filled up. Your God is dead. If your God is dead, you have no hope. You have no power. Your God is like this dog on David Letterman. you got to see this. Bailey, uh, and what are you guys going to do? She's going to play dead. Play dead? And then come alive, it says here. Bailey will play dead. What do we need to do here? Uh, anything, Mike? Nothing. Okay. Play dead. That was good. Play that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Oh, buddy. That's the problem, my friends. That's the problem right there. If your God is like Bailey, you got nothing. 
You've been, you've been walking around this life thinking, yeah, you know, I should say some prayers. I should do some things. I got, look, I got Jesus up on my mantle. I got, the, I got him in a nativity scene at Christmas time. But you don't have a relationship with him. You don't understand that he is the God of heaven and earth. And you don't understand that he is the God who rose from the dead. And that's never going to work. It's never going to fill up your hole. That's why this day is so important. That's why the resurrection is so important. Listen to Max Licato. Saturday had no hope. On Saturday evening, no one dreamed of Sunday morning. Peter didn't ask John, what will you say when you see Jesus? Mary didn't ponder, how will he appear? They didn't encourage each other with quotes of his promised return. They could have. How many times did Jesus say these words, like Mark 9, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of men, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day? I mean, he told them this over and over again. You'd think someone would mention the prophecy and do the math. Hmm. He died yesterday. This is the second day. We'd better set our alarm. But nobody did. Saturday saw no such plans because their God was dead. On Saturday, the enemy had won. The courage was gone, and hope caught the last train to the coast. No one planned to see the death-defeating Jesus. They planned to embalm him, not talk to him. There's no power. There's no hope. It's Saturday. Mark 16, 1, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? I mean, it was Sunday morning, but they were still in a Saturday state of mind. And maybe that's how you walked in here to this Easter service. Maybe you walked in, you bet your farm the wrong way. You put your eggs in the wrong basket. Your life has still got a big hole, and your plastic Jesus isn't really doing it for you. And you walked in, and you're in a Saturday state of mind. Watch what happens. Mary, this is John's version, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? She doesn't even get that they're angels. Because that's what happens when you're in a Saturday state of mind. Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She didn't even realize it was Jesus. See, this is what happens, okay? This is what happens when your God is dead. There's no hope, there's no courage, there's no power, and you can't even see him when he's standing right in front of you. You can't see the angels, you can't see Jesus. This is important for Mary Magdalene because Mark points out something. Mark says, when Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, he showed himself to Mary Magdalene. One time in the past, he had forced seven demons out of her. You need to understand why this is so cool about Mary. Seven demons, seven was a numerological number that meant perfect in biblical times that meant complete if she had seven demons that meant she was completely demon possessed we don't know if she was depressed paranoid demon possessed we don't know what was going on but she was a mess when she met jesus she was the kind of person that you walked around the road the other way to avoid because you didn't want to have to deal with the with mary and the seven demons okay But when she found Jesus, Jesus healed her. When she found Jesus, everything had been healed. Everything was over. You need to see the deepness of this relationship that's going on here, okay? That's what's so important. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. She didn't realize it was Jesus. He said, woman, why are you crying? Jesus took matters into his own hands. Why would he do that? Why would he be so persistent? Why would he be so patient? The answer is simple. That's who Jesus is. Please get this. Please grasp this. If you're in a season of darkness right now, if you feel like your God is dead, hold on. Hold on. It may be Saturday night in your life, 
But Sunday morning is coming. The psalmist said, weeping may go on for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where they put him and I will go get him. And Jesus was so moved by her love. Look at what happens next. He says, Mary. I mean, could you just imagine the love that's in his voice? Hello, McFly. It's me. Mary. Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out, Rabboni, teacher, my God is alive. Everything is different. Max writes, what a reward. Jesus could have given her the stars for they were his to share. He could have given her anything for all belonged to him. He had conquered hell and death. When Jesus searched for the gift that he wanted to give this devoted servant, he gave himself. He drew near and he called her by name. And he will do the same for you. Dying. Evidently. As I was sitting here, I was reminded of the night I chose to become a priest. I'd been struggling with it for a long time. Several years. Anyway, that night, I couldn't sleep. So I... I got up and went out for a walk in the woods behind my father's house. It was snowing like it is now. I don't have any idea how long I walked, but at a certain point, I suddenly realized I didn't know which way to go. I'd gotten lost. I was frightened. As I looked up into that dark night, came to me. I saw all those millions of snowflakes drifting down toward me. So still. So peaceful. Perfect. And I was filled with the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like pouring wine into an empty glass. When did you lose your faith? I found with most people, it comes and goes. Like intimacy in a relationship. Sometimes it's so strong, a passion, rapture. And then at other times, it's impossible, distant, lost. But that's not God. That's us. We put up our own barriers with our egos and our pain. He's always there, no matter what. That's not God. That's us. Maybe you walked in with barriers from pain, maybe you walked in with barriers from your past, maybe you walked in with barriers because of idols that you thought you were going to worship and you thought they were going to work out well. It's not God, it's us. He is always there. Sunday is coming. 
In the early moments of Sunday's dawn, there was a stirring in Joseph's tomb. The eyes that closed on the cross popped open on the grave. Hands that fell limp behind the nail straightened beneath the veil. The lips that on Saturday lay still spread into a soft smile on Sunday morning. For there was much to smile about. Jesus had paid the penalty of sin and defanged the power of death. Saturday's sadness burgeoned into Sunday's beauty, and beauty arose. He removed the burial cloth. He peeled away the shroud. He stood up from the slab. He stepped out of the grave, and he started spreading the good news. It's Sunday. You don't have to live under Saturday anymore. It's all about the power. Let me just bring you back to that verse about the scubalon. I consider them scubalon that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness that comes from my own, that comes from the law. I can't work my way into heaven, people. Neither can you. Neither could Paul. It's a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. I'm saved by his amazing grace. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Because I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection. I, I don't want to just live with my pink velvet Jesus. I don't want to live with my other idols up on the throne. I want to live in the power of the resurrection. The Greek word is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. I want to have the dynamite power. What did the resurrection do for the disciples? They turned them into apostles. They changed the world. What what did the resurrection power, the dunamis, what did it do for the early church? It made it explode. There are two billion people around the planet celebrating the resurrection with us right now because of the resurrection power that got inside of them. And that same power is available to us. If your God is dead, you're missing the point. Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. We're all wasting our time. If it's not Sunday, you've still got a big hole. But since he has been raised, your hole is filled and you've got the power. During this closing song, we're going to pass the baskets across and collect them. If you haven't written anything on there, put something on there. Because I guarantee you we've all got something that's getting in the way that we're trying to fill our hole up with that we need to release. And I'm going to, I'm going to take them before the throne of God literally at the end of this service and we're going to dump them out. Let me leave you with the scripture. Paul again, Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart, this is my prayer for you, my friends. This is, this is my Easter prayer for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You walked in here hopeless. You should not walk out hopeless. You have hope. The hope he has called you and the riches of his inglori the glorious inheritance of his saints. You got riches. I don't care what your bank account's like. You got the riches of his inheritance and the incomparably great hope the incomparably great power for those who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the power. That's the riches. That's the hope. We've got it all because Jesus is alive. How do I know Jesus is alive? Because I was lost. Because I was hopelessly searching for someone's love. Because I was making the rules up as I went. Because I was empty and alone for years after my divorce. Because when my husband died, I felt that I was sinking. Because I was lost. How do I know Jesus is alive? 
because he lives in me. Jesus did what no one else could do for me. He took the punishment. For my failures, my selfishness, my pride, and my sin. He was beaten, he was mocked, crucified, and buried for me. For me. For me. But on the third day, he did exactly what he said he would do. Jesus rose up and walked right out the tomb. And in the summer of 1986, September of 2001, March 30th, 2008, he walked right into my life, and I haven't been the same since. And now I am found. I am restored. Now I have solid footing. I am peaceful. I'm at peace. And now I'm truly found. My God. My Savior. My best friend. My Jesus. Is alive. And now I'm alive. The tomb may be empty, but my heart is full. As you're uh, looking at this throne, as you're looking at this throne, I realize some of you are having Lily Tomlin moments, and that's, um, that's just because you're old and you remember that show. I, I wanted this throne because I just I wanted something to counteract a tiny little velvet Jesus. I wanted a picture for us of something that was so big and so m magnanimous that no human being could possibly sit on it and look intelligent. You'd look like Ruth Ann, swinging your feet. That's what it would look like. It wouldn't make any sense. I want it to be big enough. Of course, this isn't big enough for God because he is the God who lives and moves and, and gives, our gives our being everything, gives us breath and life. His little toe won't fit on that throne. But I wanted it to be large enough for you to get the idea. Here's the verse again. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples built by hands. He doesn't sit on that throne. He, he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. But the Hebrew writer tells us that the throne that God does sit on is a throne of grace. And it, he tells us that we should approach the throne of grace with confidence. I told you at the beginning, there is one door that he won't break down, and, and here's the scripture again. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You may have heard that voice before, or that, that verse before, but listen to one more after it. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. To those of us who come and we bring our holes, and man, there's a lot of holes this service. There's a lot of things that you've written down on here, a lot of things that these represent. To those of us that come and throw them at the throne of God and dump them out before him and say, okay, God, I need you to sit on my throne. He gives us the right to sit on the throne with him. He takes us and he picks us up and he sets us right there on his lap, right next to him on the throne. How? How does that happen? 
I don't know. It happens because Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. And he paid for the penalty. And all I have to do is say, okay, God, here's my stuff. I want you to come in. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. We're going to take communion now. We do it every week here at Parkview. And it's really got significance on Easter weekend because we get to celebrate the whole package. We take communion. We remember his body and his blood that were shed and broken for us because that paid the penalty for sin. And I love that Max Licato quote about the smile that broke out across Jesus' face as he woke up that Sunday morning because death had been conquered and sin had been paid for. And I don't know how it works, but whoever believes in me, he said, will not perish but have everlasting life. Not only everlasting life later, but everlasting life now. Everlasting power, everlasting hope. All the riches of his glorious inheritance can be yours right now. Let's pray. Lord God, if there are people in this room who uh, you're knocking on the door of their heart and they've been trying to decide whether they're going to answer it for a long time, I pray that this is the day they open it up and they say, okay, you know, I can't fill up my life with all that other stuff. It really is a big bunch of scubalon, and I, I don't know why I've been messing with it for so long. I'm going to give that to you, Lord, and I'm going to take you to fill up my hole. And God, I thank you that the throne is a throne of grace because I continually and we all continually keep going back and trying to fill our lives up with the things of this world. But we know that you are the one that loves us, that you're the one who saved us, that you're the only one who can fill us. Lord, I'm thankful that I couldn't get to heaven by my righteousness because I would probably try. I'm thankful that I get to heaven because of your amazing grace. And that gives me power, and it gives me hope, and it gives me Sunday. And it helps us walk out of here whole. I pray that every person in this room will do it. Every person in this room will open up and let you in. Be with us now in Jesus' name, I pray. We're going to pass the trace, and uh, there's two cups, one inside the other. There's bread in the bottom and juice in the top. As they come by, just grab both cups and pass the tray on and hold on to them for a minute because we like to do communion all together. We like to do it as a body, and, and just in case you're wondering, you don't have to be a part of Parkview. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, even if you just cracked open the door, take the cups and let's commune together. And after that's over, then we're going to celebrate out of here this Easter service. He is not here. He's risen. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. This is the body of Christ that was broken for you. Take and eat. This represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Take and drink. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this weekend. I don't know if people walked in here today in a Saturday state of mind. I don't know if they walked in here not even thinking about what state of mind they're in. But I pray that whatever it is that we walked, however it is that we walked in here, we will walk out knowing that because you live, we can face tomorrow. Because you live, we have power to live this life. Like nothing else can give us power. Everything else is scubal on. We have the riches of your glorious inheritance. We have the incomparably great hope and power that comes from Sunday morning. And we celebrate that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.